ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of The Lanyard. Each week, I like to interview somebody creating a cool company or a cool community. Today, we get to talk to Rich Show, one of the most prolific songwriters in South Dakota. And that interview starts right now. Well, thanks for making the trip down, Rich. You're welcome. So tonight you've got a show here in Yankton. We're doing something down at the river, and it's called Writers in the Round. Tell us what that is. Uh, how I understand it is we have uh, four singer-songwriters. Thomas Henges, our Burlap Wolf King, he'll be one of them. Uh, Matt D. Matt right. D. of the Profane Saints? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that that's the same guy. And then Matthew Fockler and myself. Yeah, Matt Fockler's been on this podcast before. We did a live show with him, and he's uh, he's such a fascinating songwriter and singer, but he's got like a, a humility problem and the opposite of most musicians. Like It's like he doesn't think he's worthy. And we think he's amazing. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. I've known him for many, many years, probably early 80s. I think I first met him and stuff. So So the four of you are going to take turns on a guitar? Yeah, how I understand it. I I don't know if we play like a song, pass it on or whatever it is, but I sit. I've done something like this before yeah. uh, in Sioux Falls, and yeah, we uh, someone will play a song or tell a story about the song and then play it, and same thing, you know, the next guy, then the next guy, and then right. So you know, you're not a super group; you're just taking a turn each of right. you taking a turn. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to be good, and I get to serve beer down there tonight, awesome. so uh, should be fun. When you talk about knowing Fockler since the 80s, uh, that's the thing about you. You've got longevity in this business. When did it begin and where? Uh, good question. I, I want to say it was probably, I mean, when I, the first band that I was ever in was called No Direction. So we were a three-piece punk band. Uh, supposedly, from what I understand, we were the first punk band in South Dakota. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for a fact. But that's just what people sounds think. like Hall of Fame material there for there you go. I mean, it's historical for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, I just rem- I had gotten married, and I remember when we came back from our honeymoon, the Shangoya reggae band cover band from Minneapolis was playing at the convention center in Sioux Falls, and so there's a dance, and and I ran into uh, Chuck Luden, uh, who you know he's a poet and stuff, kind of a, a beat poet, I would call him. And good friend, and uh, we just ran into each other and just started talking about music because, you know, the punk thing was fairly new. I mean, I had been dabbling with, you know, the the new sounds at the time, you know, in the late 70s and stuff and finding, you know, punk rock being uh, something I could latch on to that uh, seemed attainable to me because I didn't know how to play anything. And Chuck played drums. I picked up a bass because I played drums before and this uh, friend of mine Rick Smith was the guitar player and we were, had always tried to put something together and I was playing drums and he was playing guitar but we could never find a bass player that would stick around so then I thought well you show me how to play the bass you know these lines and then we'll get a drummer so. I'll stick around yeah <laughs> exactly I'll stick around I promise but yeah and then it, it all kind of blossom from there and then i just would sit down at night with the bass and <laughs> throw these real simple bass lines together and uh, write songs who took a chance on your band right away like as far as venues were people into punk around no, sioux falls no no was this no. in sioux falls by the yeah, way yeah, yes yeah, it was yeah, yeah I, I was born and raised there no one really took a chance on us. There was a place on Minnesota Avenue called the Crowbar. Mm-hmm. There is one still called the Crowbar, but it's in a, the building that the original Crowbar was in is now tore down. After that, it became a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that was the first place we we got. They would let us play. You know, we just said, "Well, we just want to play. You don't have to pay us or anything. Yeah. We just, you know, because this place." Really, their bread and butter time was, you know, like right after work. And then usually like on, uh, you know, Friday or Saturday night, if you were there at, you know, 10 o'clock, there's nobody there. Just a few regulars. Yeah, it was very blue collar. So everybody hit it right after work and that was it. Yeah. So we started doing our thing there and just word of mouth and putting up flyers and, you know, all that stuff. And just eventually 
more people came. And, and I, what age are you at this point? 25. So, but prior to no direction, there had to be a start to this, right? So in high school, were you playing in your garage? Were you messing yeah, around I on guess guitars? In, in high school, I was a flake. You know, I, I did a lot of different things, but uh, I did kind of keep coming back to the drums. But Rick and I, we, yeah, we were more interested in partying than, than actually making music. But, sure. But then at a certain point, we just started to get a little more serious on it and just had some fun with it. Well, you got to put in your five five thousand hours or whatever, right? Is that you know? what it is? Yeah, yeah. ten thousand hours. That's it. You got to put in ten thousand hours, as wow. Malcolm Gladwell says. I don't even think I've hit that yet. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Maybe you had to have. have. Absolutely. Maybe, okay, we'll say I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you start to spread this by word of mouth. Some of your friends start coming out to shows. Yeah, and the thing yeah. Starts you, know, you invite you know people you work with. Eventually, else. People who were into that kind of music at the time would kind of gravitate toward what you're doing. So you were playing bass, and were you the vocalist too? Yes. And the vocals of your punk band a little different than what you're doing today? Yes. <laughs> it was more hollering, I would say. Right. But, you know, and I couldn't carry a tune very well, and my voice would crack. And Three chords? Three chords, yeah. You know, a lot of, uh, uh, at the beginning, it was more of a Ramones type of sound, mm-hmm. and then... You know, then, uh, you know, the darker type music started coming in, say, like Joy Division and uh, The Cure. And, you know, then we started doing things that are a little more angular and where everyone's kind of doing their own thing, but it all gels together. Did you bring in a synthesizer? No. No, we didn't. <laughs> I, it would have been, we would have had to bring in someone new and then who knows if they'd stick around. And that's another uh, paycheck to split. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Now, there's not much. There wasn't any money in it. And I guess for me, there probably still isn't a whole lot of money in it. I mean, I do like to make money, but, you know, I I have that thing that i just like to find the next song yeah you've probably made made great money at certain gigs but per hour if you average it out over that ten thousand hours no no yeah it's not a it's not an hourly wage for sure yeah (laughs) so uh no direction then where do we go from there after that you know kind of fell apart met up with some other people and we started the band flag with hank which was more, you know, I, at that time I was more into like a Hank Williams Sr. type of thing, and but still liking, you know, an alternative country type stuff. And we were doing that sort of thing. So it was two guitars, bass, and drums. Uh, got Lance Byer on drums, Heath Hengem on bass, and uh, Ralph Mills played lead, lead guitar, and I played electric guitar and so the the type of alt country bands that you're emulating at that point are not emulating but maybe had drew some inspiration from what what were the top of my head maybe jason and the scorchers or and then we would do like hank williams covers and patsy klein and then yeah. we do you know straight out rock and songs credence was a big one they were, uh, I guess for me, they, they, to me, emulated the American rock band. And not that I could do that. And I, I guess early on I realized that I'm not going to be able to be like those guys or sound like those guys, but still like that stuff. And I'll just do what I can with what I got. I might think that I'm writing a song that sounds like a Credence song, but when it's all said and done, it's like, that's nothing like a Credence song. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more like me trying to sound like you know, yeah yeah you know, and, and you then you kind of develop your own style i guess but so in those early days were you mostly playing covers mostly songwriting a combination of the two i guess with no direction and flag with hank we probably were 80% original stuff and then we'd throw in a few covers i remember hearing something you you wrote or, or said once people would play all these covers and then they'd be like and now here's an original for you as if it was like this moment right right like that they yeah someone from above struck down and gave them this magical thing but you know it, writing a song is not that hard at least from my perspective <laughs> but i mean it, it's not you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it you're going to have a lot of really crappy songs and they may you know and also never listen to your friends never listen to you know about 
them telling you how good it is. Once you do that, you're sunk because you have to really have your own standards and really listen to the songs, not only your own, but other people's songs, the things that you like. What is it that they do that that makes their songs interesting to you? So you'd know if you had a good song if it passed your test? More or less. It's really subjective. I mean, there's times, you know, I get hung up on a song and I think it's just really cool. Yeah. And in retrospect, it was an unfinished song. It never, and, and then I, it just ended up not being that good. Well, you say that it's not that hard to write a song, but I think it's probably like anything, whether it's making a podcast or writing a novel, it's the art of doing it, just shipping. Yes, yes, you have to do it. I mean, yeah, you can't just go write a song and say, here's my song. I've you know, got one, and yeah, this yeah. is it. Now I'm good for a month. No, you. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're writing. I mean, I just a, how much time did you spend, and and are spending? I you know could spend you know an hour and a half a day just horsing around. But you spent that time almost every day writing a or, lot, yeah, or working yeah. on something. After, you know, when I was younger, I had small children. You know, I have four kids, and uh, there'd be you know the nights once the kids went to bed, I'd just sit up and I might be watching TV and have a guitar my lap and just horsing around and eventually something might oh something with this so how what does that process look like i'm sure it's changed throughout the years but does it start with music does it start with lyrics it's kind of i'll find you know i'll just be messing with a you know various chord progression of some sort then all of a sudden you know maybe a melody will come into my head then i kind of back off and focus on the melody and then let that take where the song's gonna go and there are times where i, I might have a lick and i'll just you know bash out something like yeah. that but it's that's to me where is you know what i like to do melody to me is the most important thing so are you always carrying a notebook with you and when you've got an idea do you jot it down immediately no no actually lately i've been horsing around i keep a guitar at work and every once in a while i'll have a little bit of time and i might plunk around on it and i kind of like uh these four chords together so i'll just write those down and then i'll come back to it some other night and see how it works so you do write something down yeah yeah because uh, otherwise well, it's lost to the ether right well it used i mean way back you know, in the beginning days, it would just be in my head. I, I wouldn't write it down, but now I can't remember anything. <laughs> you know, I have to be taught my own songs at some point, you know, some of the older ones. So when you're doing No Direction and you're the first punk band in South Dakota, arguably, you don't have perhaps any direct mentors, people to learn from. You, Everything you did was from watching people on the national stage and figuring out your own style, or how did you... Well, you know, just, I, mean, I was a record collector. You know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, we'd make trips to Minneapolis and Omaha, and, and I'd read magazines, you know, the whatever, Mojo's one I read now, because it's a nice overall, you know, it covers past and future and that sort of thing. And great stories. But, yeah, I used to read, like, Trouser Press and this one called Option, which was, you know, like, it had probably, you know, 300 reviews every issue. And so you you can read through these reviews and kind of, you can kind of read between the lines to see what you might like. And then you'd find those those songs. You know, it's not like today where you, oh, you yeah. see something you kind of like, you just type it in and it's instantly there for you to check out. Right. Hey Siri, play. Yeah, yeah. Flag with ink. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we would go to Minneapolis and I'd buy, I'd grab the city pages and whatever they had and, and uh, buy all the magazines and then pick out a few records and stuff. So some of the other band names throughout the years, what what did you have? Well, the main three, of course, were No Direction, Flag with Hank, and Violet. And then we had one little incarnation called The Rottweilers. We had The Working Poor, uh, which we still do some of The Working Poor stuff. I uh, had one called Oxford Comma. Uh, we had one called Catholic Family Radio, yeah. which is kind of a power pop group. I remember going to Phil's Pub and seeing Violet, and I remember the Harvesters open, but you were not in that band, correct? That was right. so. Oh, uh, but some of the players were in Violet. Is that right? Was it like was Romanowski in both? Or? Well, Romanowski was with me first. Okay, but yeah, as you know, like Heath 
the bass player, he moved to Minneapolis. And then Justin with in the Harvesters uh, said, he, I know all those songs. So we just he just kind of stepped right in. Yeah. And then Mark Bombera, the other guitar player, he moved to Seattle. And he's still out there. Actually, he's still in Minneapolis. That was ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th- when we think about Sioux Falls today, when we go downtown and we're eating these amazing sandwiches and craft beers on the street and looking around, that's not what the Sioux Falls was like when you were no. starting to make music. No, no. There's just a couple places that you could play. Now, there. There used to be Phil's Corner. You know, uh, Phil's Corner was on 18th in Minnesota, which that used to be a Taco Bell, and now it's yeah. Other, but oh, like Pita Pit. Pita Pit. There you go. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Used to be a Scott Hudson uh, Taco Bell. Right. Yes. Yes. Anyway, we uh, used to play there on occasion. Phil, or actually his brother Skip, would move the pool tables out of the back <laughs> room, and we'd set up there and and uh, you know charge two dollars or three dollars at the door, and and that became quite a quite a hangout there for a while. I too. still get to Phil's Pub about once a year, but it's it's hard to find it open. You can get it open <clears throat> on a couple hours on a given weekday. Right. Yeah. I don't know if he's. <laughs> I don't know what they do there anymore. I, it looks closed all the time, but. Well, and then just down the street. So when you went to play at Phil's Pub, there would be a, a break and everybody would run down the street to do a shot at Lil Colenga yep. because there was no liquor at Phil's Pub. Yep, just beer. But the other places that, that were big in the music scene at for a while were places like the Limelight. Yes. Total Drag is is a current place. Yes, which I, I love that place. Yeah. That's a, that's a great little And, and describe that. Tell me what that place is. You know, it's it's an all-record store. I mean, they do probably have a few, like, local-type CDs, but it's mainly records and cassettes that they're interested in. And they have a, a small little room in the back, that, uh, and they've got a small PA set up there, and they get all kinds of music in there, all, you know, two, three really cool things a week. Depending on what you're doing, you know, if you're doing just a, a solo acoustic thing, the kids that go there, they, they're in there and they're respectful and they watch what you're doing. As Yeah, you're not in a bar situation where, you know, you're... You're sometimes background music. You're, that's what, yeah, a lot of times that's what it is. But, you know, that's just the way things are, you know. You don't have to play above the crowd, you know, volume-wise. The most iconic live music venue in Sioux Falls, which was before my time, Pomp Room. I moved to Sioux Falls in 2001, and I think it was torn down in like 99 or something oh, like was that. It? it was like when I was there, it was already a parking lot for okay. the library. But tell me about the Pomp Room for people who hadn't been there. That was a true rock and roll club on many levels. I mean, when I first started going there when I was 21, you know, they'd have bands that would play there Monday through Saturday. Oh, every night. Every night. One band. Yeah. That, that you know, and uh, we would go there on a Mondays and Tuesdays to check out the band, see if we wanted to go there any other night, Joe. You know, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're saying the same band would play the whole week? Right. right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they'd have a week-long gig, and they'd, have to, and they'd play three or four sets every night. Wow. I'm wondering how the finances worked out on that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah. They had a, like a band house and um, you know, put people up there huh. for the week. And I assume, though, like when Aerosmith popped in there, they didn't stay for the whole week. No. <laughs> no, that was after things were, well, where you'd have a band play that night and you might have an opening and that sort of thing. I think yeah. that's how it kind of came about. We were playing like at the limelight most of the time, or you know, a number of times, and we kind of wanted wanted to play the pomp room, see how that would go. And I think they were skeptical about us, and we were skeptical about them <laughs> because we were you know from different sides of the you know genres, I guess you. And they said, "Well, we'll let you play like on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and see how that goes." Because what you were too alternative for them. You were. I don't know if that was the case, or they just didn't know if their crowd would appreciate what we were doing. Yeah, too many. And they wanted to, and wanted to find. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to find. You know, if if our if the people that would come see us would go there. Yeah, spend the money. Yeah, but we we played. We played there on a I. I want to say it was a Wednesday night, but um, but we had a great crowd, and uh, then after that, they started letting us play, you know, regularly. And then it got to the point where we were playing there uh, pretty much once a month, and you know, doing very good there. 
and stuff. So this is skipping around a little bit, but how did you end up at Paisley Park? And maybe tell people what Paisley Park is. Uh, well, Paisley Park was uh, the studio Prince built. Chanhassen. Chanhassen, Minnesota, yes. We knew some people in Minneapolis and uh, we were kind of wondering who would be a good place, where would be a you know, a good guy to work with up there to do when we were starting with uh, Flag with Hank. And this gentleman, Tom Herbers, had a 16-track studio. So we went there and did Flag with Hank tapes, the first record. And then we ended up doing our second record with Tom as well. But then we went Nicolette Studios, which I forget what it used to be called. But it was a pretty hip place right across from Orfo Jokopus, if you're familiar with that record. So that place is gone. After, you know, the Flag with Hank thing broke up, we had Violet together. And by the time we got ready to, to do a, a record, we I talked with Tom and he said, well, I, we can get into Paisley Park and the small studio and it's blah, blah, blah amount of money. And we're like, really? That's cheap. You know, so we thought, oh, let's go there. You know, so we would go there and we would work all, you know, pretty much all night long. And so so how does using studio space, how does that work? You have a set amount of time, set amount of hours, pay a big fee per hour to use their equipment. Right, right, yeah. Or actually uh, Tom would have lined up something and, and he we would pay Tom and then Tom would take care of yeah. that part. Is that inclusive? So you show up at Paisley Park and Prince was there to greet you. You're right. <laughs> no, I, uh, we ran it. We saw him a few times. There was, uh, a, we were just working in our area, doing our thing. You know, it might be three or four in the morning and there'd be all kinds of activity in, in the building. We could see something's going on here. And then someone says, well, uh, Prince is going to set up in the atrium and just try some new stuff out. So one night there was like, you know, 12 people there. He set up and did a, like a power trio thing for about an hour and a half. And just whoever was there that you were already there. So you get to hang. Yeah. We get, so we got to watch it, and then the next night he did did it all over again, but he had the full band and then invited a bunch of people from uh, his club. What was that called? First Avenue? No, no, no. Oh. It was... Um, he definitely had First Avenue, but there was another one? He had... There was another club. I think it was called the... the uh, it became The Quest, I believe, but it was something else before that, and that was one that he owned and... He invited a bunch of people and they would come out there and had, you know, food and all this stuff. And Yeah. But, yeah, so we got to see him twice that week. You guys don't really have the same musical stylings, do you? Not, <laughs> not, no, no. Heck of a guitar player, though. One of the best. Right, right. You had a record deal, too, with, like, Warner Brothers? We uh, were working with Bobby Z, who was the drummer in Prince's band. He, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Dans, he worked for this uh a warehouse that shipped out music of various smaller labels, you know, like uh, John Prine's label or, you know, Ro Ryko at the time. There's a bunch of labels at, at this warehouse, and they would ship for these people. Anyways, there is a guy, another guy that worked there that really liked our band, Violet. He says, I got to have you, I got to introduce you to Bobby Z. So, you know, so one night we're playing someplace and this Bobby Z's there. And then he comes up and wants to see if he can find us a record deal. You know, we played for the Warner Brothers people. You know, we were going up to Minneapolis to play, you know, the 7th Street Entry and uh, the Uptown Bar and the Caboose, Fine Line. But, yeah, we played for A&M. We played for DreamWork, played for Warner Brothers, played. There's like six or seven different labels that we, you know, did showcases. He, Bobby, got us some money to do a demo. So we got to go into the second studio at Paisley and do this four-song demo, which turned out amazing. But that all kind of fell apart because at the time, Warner Brothers was going through some changes. And uh, Lenny Warrenker, who was one of the top dogs there, Mo Austin, who was the king there, they didn't like what the numbers guys were wanting to do. 
So they jumped ship and went to a different label. We were just like collateral damage. Yeah. We got a recording out of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, which it was fun. It was, you know, I don't have any regrets about that. It'd been nice. I don't know. Maybe it would have been worse. It could have been. Right. You know, we may have ended up with no control. You are where you're at for a reason, I assume. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's take a break. I saw you brought a guitar. Do you want to play something? Uh, I think I might be able to. Well, let's take a little break. I'm going to drop the intro music in, and when we come back, you're going to hear Rich playing a song. All right, thanks. The presenting sponsor of The Landard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. Hey, Lanyard listeners. It's your favorite cobblers, Brennan and Mandy. Well, we know Ben has kept you pretty up to date on all the craziness happening at Boston Shoes to Boots lately. Yes, we are in the middle of a remodel and store floor expansion. And we need the space. Boy, do we. Yes, since taking on this adventure in 2016, we've continually added brands that we felt pretty good about and that could fill a need in our store and in the community. Echo has been a big hit among men and women. Not only are their shoes comfortable, but they're well-made and stylish. We have these adorable slip-ons for women that we cannot keep on the shelves. I have them in all three colors, the black, the rose, and the pewter. Yes, she does. And for guys, they make classic styles that pair great with jeans, shorts, and slip-on dress shoes because who wants to tie these days? No one. We've also brought in Chaco. These are the strappy-looking sandals that are all the rage on college campuses. Yep, I got myself a pair to feel young again. And you know what? It worked. It did, huh? It sure did. I took them on my recent camping trip because you can take them to the beach. We went hiking and biking, and they gave me great support and comfort while I was being active and through the rest of those long summer days. Thanks for listening to The Lanyard, and stop in to Boston Shoes to Boots, where service and style can't be beat. Or visit us online at bostonshoestoboots.com. Okay, let's see. I can just start any time, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've done this before. Hold my hand little tighter. Take me from this awful place. Make my load a little lighter. Blaze that trail to heaven's gate. Take me from this life I'm living To a place where I'll be free Just hold my hand a little tighter Rescue me There's a light off in the distance Where beyond both time and space like a light that guides you into home Back to a familiar place So if you want to be my helper There is one thing you can do Just hold my hand a little tighter I'm counting on you house of glory come and lay down your sweet head I protect you from all evil have no fears now go to bed I hold your hand little tighter 
Hold you close now if you cry Just hold my hand a little tighter Till the day I die Hold my hand a little tighter Till the day I die Well, that was very fun. Tell me about that song. That was a song I wrote after Flag with Hank broke up. I was kind of in a bad place, so to speak. I didn't have a band at the time. I mean, it's kind of hard to emotionally go from playing music. You know, we played every weekend and sometimes during the middle of the week and you're constantly on the go and you know you're booking shows you're getting flyers made you're just it's, it's a machine it's a yeah it's a yeah and it's it's draining and i think at after it was all done i didn't really have a band uh part of the guys were down in austin texas and i was in sioux falls without a band so i just took up the acoustic guitar and just started messing around with stuff. And a friend of mine um, had a, a recording deck and he came, would come over maybe once a week and we'd just kind of horse around. And I'd have a song or two that I, we would record. This one was one of them. Was, and I was just kind of doing, trying to do something that was country. Usually when I do that song, it's more upbeat, kind of a country gospel song, you know, something like Hank would do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that came from. It's just, yeah, with gospel, it's, you know, hold my hand, you know, I'll take care of you, blah, 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 that sort of thing. What's the song name? Hold My Hand a Little Tighter. I like it. So we were talking before the break about all the trips up to Minneapolis and all of the demos. There had to be a time when you were thinking about, should we just move to Minneapolis? Well, certainly, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of other people involved besides just the guys in the band. You know, every, families. Uh, families. I had four kids. It's really hard to consider the uproot. It's also hard, I imagine, to be gigging every weekend and several weeknights. The guys in the band's credit, you know, everybody had a full-time job. Heath had a part-time job and was going to full-time student at USD. Uh, he was on the dean's list. He got his you know, master's in math. In math. Yeah, Think about geez. that. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. So, I mean, and uh, I mean, and all while this, you know, when we were doing all that traveling and playing all these things, I mean, we, we if I remember right, we played like 175 shows that year. Your 10,000 hours, man. That's part of the deal. It's all those yeah. gigs, all those recordings. 175 <laughs> gigs in one year. And, when typically, and we were working full-time jobs. Oh, come on. And typically people would only get gigs on Friday and Saturday nights, which uh, comes to 100 yeah. gigs. So yeah. 175 is a push. Yeah. If they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 100 would be, you know, would be great if you could do 100. I don't think I do 100. I, I probably do maybe 20 a year now, yeah. 25. When we recorded that last double album, the uh, do we want to go there? Let's talk about it. Are you talking about with the new record company? Yes, yes. Different Folk uh, is a Sioux Falls label, fairly new. I sorry, Andy. I don't know when it started. He's been putting out, you know, local and some regional people that he likes, and it's not just him. There's there's like a group of. A dozen guys involved in this thing, and you know, some of them are employees from the uh, the owner and employees from Last Stop CD Shop in Sioux Falls, and they may have others too. I, I'm not very well informed. He had approached a friend of mine, Andy did. We were playing at this block party for the co-op in Sioux Falls on 18th of Minnesota. He talked to my friend Phil Bjornberg, who is kind of the Sioux Falls' guy who goes to all of the live stuff, all yes. the cool stuff. He's a very, very wonderful man, great support guy for everybody in Sioux Falls who's an artist and, and playing music. 
But he had mentioned to him, he said, do you think Rich would ever consider recording some songs, you know, of his past? And uh, so we... Were those songs already recorded or... Yeah, yeah. So he was just wanting to update them. He he was wanting to see if we would record, you know, like a greatest hit, but just go into a studio and just do them all on modern equipment. Modern equipment and with you being years older. Right. See what it sounds like. Right. And then as it turned out, I am really methodical when it comes to choosing what songs I'm going to play or record. So I had a list of all the songs I recorded, everyone, in all of the different bands and all this stuff. Like probably 500. Oh, I don't think it was that much. (laughs) I I want to say it was like 250 or something like that. So I started going through and thinking, you know, with who I was going to be playing with, Lance Beyer, who is a drummer who I've played with forever. Uh, Mark Romanowski, played with him forever. I knew those two guys were for sure in. Then Mary Campbell, who is a roundabout way, we we're kind of like family in a way. We, I've known her for many years and it's, yeah... Sioux Falls is kind of an incestuous type of a, you know, there's a group of people that just seem to kind of swarm around each other. They might not necessarily hang out, but you know each other. And then you find out there's these common Feels things. like your tribe. Right. Well, anyway, she plays keyboards. And then uh, Jason Haig from the Haig Brothers plays bass. And I've always, always loved Jason as a person. You know, I like his the sound he gets with his bass and stuff. And, you know, we just, every time I would run into him, we just had, you know, silly conversations and just, you know, it was fun, you know. We got more or less drug him into what we were doing. And it's been fun. Going back to the song picking, I couldn't, I could get rid of a lot of the songs, but I still had about 70 songs that I thought we could do. And instead of trying to weed it down further, I started thinking, well, what if we just recorded them all? And and what was his reaction? He says, "Fine with me. Let's <laughs> let's let's just let's try it." You know, because at Cat House Studio, Mike Dresch uh, runs Cat House Studio, and I've worked with him there before, and he's extremely efficient. And we were thinking, well, okay, we all know these songs. You know, most of the songs. Why can't we just set up, have everything recorded, and just play live? So, and then anything that needed to be fixed, we'll fix it. So that's what we did. I mean, I think the final that we used is close to 50. I think it's 48 or 49 songs that we used. And the, those came out all in like 2019, right? I mean, those are... No, no, no. That was uh, actually tw- 2018, okay. January. Uh, it's like, yeah. Because I was looking up some on uh, iTunes last night, and I think on there they have it listed as 2019, but they Right. It, it was just yeah. put on their digital. system, yeah. yeah, on digital that way, which that's mind-boggling. That's that's huge. Yeah. So, so how is... The marketing discovery of what you're producing these days. Do you put any effort into the, uh, hey, guys, come download my newest EP, things like that? Oh, no. I guess I'm terrible at that stuff. I guess... Um, what I've done is, you know, I, I've sent out a few, you know, Facebook things saying, hey, here's some links, blah, 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 to people that are my friends yes. on Facebook. And then <laughs> I also have, I have a Richard show and a Rich show. They're, you know, separate entities, I guess. And one is more for the music stuff. So, and I just send it out there and see what happens. But you're not a shameless self-promoter. Well, I just just give you a stack of cards there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's got not, a bunch of business cards. Yeah. That's as shameless as I get. <laughs> Actually, I just, yeah, this is how bad I am. I, I just thought of this. Like after we talked about putting the stuff on YouTube and wherever. And uh, so I made this and uh, it's got the different folk web page here and, and it'll take you there and you can look up my stuff, all of the songs that were recorded for this last project, and also past projects. The only thing that didn't get on there, uh, I think we had some issue with uh, some of the Flag with Hank stuff, but that's going to be coming out on iTunes and all of those formats. Again, like an issue in terms of copyright? Or? No, no, I... I think it had something to do with, you know, maybe the the master that I had I or something like that. 
Um, and then the no direction stuff we didn't put on there because there is a small label. Um, I can't remember the name of them, but a label in Kansas City that's going to reissue the first no direction. Oh. And so we're thinking that they're going to want to put it on iTunes and stuff. And we may take some of the other stuff of no direction, do it on iTunes as well. Or they may want to option to put out the second album or whatever. I guess we should be accurate. There is no iTunes anymore. They're switching it to Apple Music. They're killing off iTunes. Oh, okay. Because there's Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, Apple TV. So they want to be clear that they're all separate now. Oh, okay. See, I'm not up on that stuff. Well, I'm only because of Apple Podcasts, which is the biggest thing in podcasting by far. I mean, Spotify's on there and Overcast and all these other platforms. But like, if we look at our stats, 70 to 80% of our downloads come from uh, an Apple device. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. They're still a big dog when it comes to creative. Right. Talking about all this digital stuff, but there's still some uh, pretty valuable analog out there because I got a tip that one of your old records sold at Last Stop for like 50 bucks recently. Probably. And that probably makes me think that you've probably still got a bunch of pressing somewhere. You've probably still got a collection, so you could go down fifty bucks a pop. Well, you're in I demand. Don't, I don't have that many. I have. Uh, I'm sure that was the first record. Second record, I I have plenty of those. But the the first record is is getting down there. And that's is that with Violet? No, that's, that's with no the, direction. No direction. Yeah, yeah. That on vinyl. We never had anything on vinyl with Violet. It was just CDs. But your branding has often been Rich Show and Violet, or Rich Lately. Show and okay. Lately, I mean, usually we kept it separate, but it just with this the time we spent. You know, I took a year to record that last group of stuff and mm-hmm. I wasn't playing live and all that time with, and then after that, then playing live and trying to promote, you know, however you do that. This is still part of the promotion, I suppose. Yes. But, um, but I wasn't writing anything then because I was busy. So in, starting at the beginning of this year, I did, I was going to start writing again. So, so I've got a, uh, bunch of songs coming. I'd like to switch directions big time. So we talk about the music business and we've, we've all been around uh, the bar scene. I'm We're sitting in a bar right now recording this and we've got live music set up here tonight. We're always around alcohol. Drugs can be in the music business. How has that impacted the Sioux Falls music scene and maybe even the bands that you were involved in was alcohol a big factor? Did it have to slow down at some point? Well, yeah. I mean, we had... I think for the whole scene, you know, it, like, for instance, I haven't, I don't drink. I used to. I used to really like it a lot, you know. And, and when you go into the bars that you were playing at, couldn't buy a drink. They just, you know, you're. Yeah, right. You get all kinds of. You need a shot? You need a shot? You need, need a shot? Beer? need a beer? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I've been sober for, I want to say, 16 years. Mark Romanowski, he liked his, you know, he liked to drink and he knew how to put it away. Uh, sorry, Mark. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he stopped before I did. And I think that's mainly how Mark and I have kind of stuck together for so long. And, and, and you know, some of the other guys in the group, they drink, you know. It's not they're smart about it. You know, they're adults. You know? <laughs> but I just, you know, I got to the point where I cared more about you know, drinking than I did anything else. So how did that affect songwriting, performing? Did you get better? (laughs) We thought we did. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, now you have to hear what you sound like through uh, sober ears. Uh, It's, yeah. I mean, there, I suppose there are some benefits. Nah, there's no benefits. Sorry. Sorry, kids. No benefits to drinking. Yeah. It makes you wonder because, you know, it was glorified for so long of like, oh, I need to get get a little uh, buzz on to get creative, things like that. But I find like when I start drinking for the day, like if I have my first beer or two, like, okay, I'm basically done. Right. My my ambition is slowing down and now my (laughs) thinking is too. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's it's a hard business ground level that we're at where the places that will that want you to play, uh, they want you there so you'll bring people to the, to the venue and so they'll buy their so they'll drink. So they'll drink and buy Absolutely, the, yeah. you know, and spend money it's and stuff. It's the business I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's and that's totally understandable. I mean, and I but 
we're up there playing, and sometimes you get the 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 people or the one or two people that overindulge, and then they they just make a spectacle. They, of, they of, ruin the performance for right. people who want to listen. Right. Right. I mean, the listening room thing is starting to become a thing where there's private concerts in people's homes. Yes. Because of that, because of people want to hear it and they can't always. Right. Right. Or the the conversationalists, Mm. you know, that they just want, they're with their friends and they paid their cover, but they'll sit up front and they'll talk. And it's like, well, you know, you guys would be better off. We would be better off. And someone else could have those seats. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you could go and talk. I like going to a concert where I've paid 50 bucks for a ticket and then I got to listen to the person next to me sing every lyric. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a musician, you might be like, oh, good. They know my music. But on the other hand, no. man, I'm there to hear you. Right, right. <laughs> I had a, a good friend of mine that I worked with. He went to a Steely Dan concert and... uh had a guy behind him who was that couldn't sing, didn't have he's just like Peg, it will come back to you. You know, just oh my word is I just learned what uh Steely Dan the band was named after the other day. What was it? Uh well, it, this is a little little risque for the lanyard audience, but it's named after a dildo. Oh. From a Bukowski um novel. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> right. Steely Dan. That's right. <laughs> so, um all right, so I wanted to talk about three things that I have read about you and I wanted to know if this was legit or if you just kind of threw those out there in these articles for for bait. But uh tell me about the King Bing ritual. Oh, King Bings. Love King Bings. I, yeah. It's different than a twin Bing. It's just the bigger version. It's just a bigger yeah. version. I mean, so there's a ritual. I would, I would eat. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't care if they're the twins or they're a single. I like them. Can basically just get them in this area, you know? It's a Sioux City. Yeah. Sioux City thing, Palmer, right? Palmer, is yeah. it? Palmer yeah. Candy Company? True or false that you would call the Palmer Candy Store? <laughs> false. <laughs> that was fun. Okay. Yeah. Do you know how to play the bagpipes? Never. You put that out there somewhere. Right. Well, that's a uh, that's a, kind of an inside joke because Mark, he just had this dream about, or he thought for the longest times that, that I knew how to play the bagpipes. <laughs> I mean, he he knew that I played the bagpipes. And he'd go, yeah, you know, you should get that. The And this is after like 10, 12 years of, you know, being around each other. And he's like, you should maybe get the bagpipes out. And I'm like, what do you mean the bagpipes? He goes, you know, your bagpipes. You play bagpipes, don't you? I go, what are you talking about? I, he's just like, Oh, no, you, you! I've always known that you've played the bagpipes. Well, yeah. how did he get that stuck in his? Life? I don't know. That that <laughs> might have been part of the drinking days. Yeah, right. That yeah. was the sign. Everybody needed to slow down. Yeah. So that was kind of a question they asked me, and I just threw that out as a jab to him. <laughs> so probably then the third one, air traffic control school. That's another one of his dreams. Okay. Yeah, that you. <laughs> 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 that was another one of his dreams. He thought I was an air, went to air traffic controller school. Or Sounds something. like he should have been the songwriter here for a while. I mean, he had yeah, some well, good ideas. He, he does have some songs. He's <laughs> actually working on some stuff. But uh, you know, we'll we'll have to. Hopefully, we'll see the light of day. So we got just a couple minutes, but I wanted to talk about. You've got four kids that you've mentioned a couple times. Yep. Now I know the names of two of them because they've been involved in creative projects over the years, and those would be Isaac and Eli. Yes. Tell me what it's like working in the same industry as your children. Any impact there? Any crossover? Well, it's kind of nice in that, you know, if I'm if I need to borrow something or if I yeah. need some, hey, say, can I borrow your snare drum? Yeah, sure. Or or they'll do say, Hey, we need some mics for this yeah. recording. I, you know, so we got that going on. And and also, you know, Isaac, he he helped me out a lot to help, you know, get the, some of the artwork put together. I mean, the older artwork and get it, you know, into a format where uh, they could use it for, you know, promotion. And, and he did a little video thing as well to help promote the, the album. And, of course, Eli, he did the album art. That was his stuff. Oh, very cool. And uh, 
I think it's just a timeless looking piece. Well, it's got to be fun, too. And I think you get to share a stage with them here shortly. Is it a block party that's coming up? Oh, the That Sounds Decent. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Isaac, he he's in OK Parade. And, of course, he started later, babes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be playing the same night. We're going to be playing the first thing. I think there's four groups or something. You're, the, you're an opener. I'm an opener. Yes. But we've actually did a No Direction tribute night at the Total Drag oh, once. Cool. You know, we thought that's kind of a punk club. It's got that atmosphere. And uh, we wanted to play, well, Mark wanted really bad to play some of the No Direction songs. So I went back, played bass, and we got Isaac to play drums. So that was kind of a roundabout thing. Now that you're several years older, can the voice handle those punk songs? Can you can you still scream it? I had some issues with some of them, but for the most part, I could... You can hang. Yeah, I can hang. Still hang. Well, we're going to find out if you can hang tonight, too, because we got Writers in the Round. Down right. At... Writers in the Round We're going to Matt Fockler. Who actually just walked into the room. Yes. He's sitting over there Hi, lurking. Matt. Hi, Matt. Is this going to be good tonight? All right. He says that really <laughs> confidently. He said, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, this uh, this podcast will be out after the concert's sure. already happened, so we'll maybe we'll have to update if it's a win or a disaster. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I know Matt. I've heard his stuff. I really enjoy it. Same with Thomas's, you know, Burlap Wolf King. I heard a lot of his stuff. I've played on shows with him. Now, Matt D., I don't think I've ever been in or seen him anywhere either. Well, and I think, you know, the the solo thing is kind of new for him. You know, he always played with the Profane Saints, and now right. he's on the solo gig. So this will be really fun. Yeah. I'm, as as myself, I don't do too many solo things. Yeah. Which I'm hoping to change that because I need to learn how to do that. Yeah. Plus, you know that you'll be around, right? It's kind of like back when you had to learn bass. All these people kept leaving. I had right, to learn right. bass. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. All right. So last, last thing, where can people hear your music we talked about going on apple music as an option but maybe a direct web link probably right here on this business card different yes if you go to different you'll be able to, to uh, check out all of their releases and there's always you know snippets or not snippets there's songs that of each artist and stuff but there's also a thing that will tell you you know if spotify has it or what's it called on itunes but apple music apple music yes. so yeah we're on all of those uh, formats so you can at this point probably type my name in and uh, that was the future. This is the past, and come up with you know all that stuff. But there's I I don't know. It had to be a couple hundred songs that was just put out on. Yeah, there, was it? Um, I was surfing through it last night, and the only thing I was finding complicated on Apple Music was um, so it would say Rich Show and Violet in the search bar, right? Right. And then some of them Violet would come up with like electronic band. Right. There okay. was some some songs that were lumped into your category because of Violet. But hey, take a, take you on a journey. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, now that you mentioned, we did get an email from that guy from and he just said, "Well, I think that that's been addressed." But I, you know, was he I, uh, was he threatening some No, no not at just all. Just like making acquaintance, yeah. He just said congratulations blah 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 you know very you know cordial i mean either way i mean i don't care if if, if he gets some listens fantastic right you know that we're all kind of in it together aren't we i think that's the right attitude so, well let's uh let's go get you warmed up for tonight's gig thanks for sharing your story been a thanks. lot of fun thank you for inviting me appreciate it and thank you for listening to the lanyard we'll be back next week with somebody else who's building a community or building a business As always, you can share out these episodes with anybody who get value out of them. We're on all the podcast platforms, including iTunes or now Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.